previously today, like 75% of all the loan money, let's say if it's $100 billion, 75 billion of it is at a lower rate than what's advertised today and what you can get money for, all those renewals have to come up. And so you're not going to actually see the impact of what these rates are doing really until those renewals come in. These huge drops in May and June were not because the rates went up. The media is a lot faster to get around today. It's not through a newspaper. It's not through conversation. It's literally like you open your phone. It's the one only thing that you see. And so sentiment stopped it. And that's why I'm like, it's already coming back. So I think we're going to have some growth continued on and they're going to have to do some more. And so they're going to keep cranking those rates. This is like a, a forced recession. It's induced recession. And the biggest way yeah. to do it is through rates. So they're going to keep pumping that. And I think you won't see like the true hurt, I think, until ne until next year. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. This is I am new. lost. Okay. So we're back in it. We're back in it. Yeah, this is season two of the Master Keys podcast. This is our podcast about uh, wealth growth and real, real estate, estate investing. And we're both real estate agents and investors, and yeah. we try and give you our best perspective on things, give you some news, updates in our lives. Um, so today we're doing a little bit of a special episode because we're doing it where we shoot our Patreon. And we're doing it because we just launched our Patreon. So yeah. check it out. Link will be in the description. Uh, we have a little bit of content up there now. We're going to be heavily populating populating that. Uh, it's not going to be just videos. It'll be uh, some actual downloadable content like spreadsheets yep. and documents and things that we use to get through uh, our day-to-day -day and get through the deals. And we'll also likely be offering some special meetups or potentially some phone calls and question answering that we can offer at certain tier levels. So check it's also it going to be great too, because it's going to be so much easier for us to show numbers on properties now. Yeah. Because here, I mean, some of you are listening to this, um, you know, through, through your podcast platforms, others are watching this on YouTube, but there's no real easy way for us to share spreadsheets and breakdowns and stuff exactly. like that. But on Patreon you can. So, you know, case in point, the property that I bought, some people have asked about the numbers and I've gone over them at a high level, but on there, I could actually be like, boom, here's the spreadsheet. Also, here's the spreadsheet I'm using moving forward with my rentals and how I manage my properties and how I put in my notification of rental increases and deposit amounts and all of these things. Yeah. Um, it'll be a lot easier to break that out. Um, so yeah, phone still ring. Oh, Okay, we, we have to the, we have to talk about this. But before before, before we get into this big news here, one second, I want to okay. finish the last thing with Patreon is we are still building up the website we've talked about, which will have a forum, a space for people to share and uh, communicate. We're actually going to be posting deals through our website and everything like that. So if you get a Patreon now, it will roll into the website. It will be linked. And if you want yeah. to buy anything new, it'll all be part of it. There'll be a ton of stuff on the website you guys are going to love. Um, we're just finishing out the details now. We want to make sure that it's perfect. There's going to be a section of the website just for shopping deals. Like you've got a lead, you're looking for a partner, or you're looking to assign a deal, or you're out there trying to purchase an assignment and looking for an opportunity. That's going to be one of the uh, sections of the website. So we appreciate all the support because really, like this is growing well. And if you're liking what we're doing, please press the like button, press the subscribe button, put a comment down below and share this with someone else that you think could get value out of it because we really are trying to build this community. Yeah, and shoot us a message with what you want us to cover. And you guys have been doing a great job of doing that. And I think we're trying to hit them as much as we can. So keep yeah. shooting that in. Um, we love it. It gives us good good ideas to go over and, and we like breaking down your guys' questions. We're going to go over what we're talking about today. Uh, so first thing is, is Chandler's got a very exciting announcement for his world of technology. Um, it's it's bittersweet. We'll just start here now. Let's it's, go it, ahead. It's bittersweet. Go ahead, Chandler. Um, sad to announce the passing of my BlackBerry. 
Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I felt the rumble when you dropped it on the ground. Like my apartment <laughs> shook. It uh, it was coming for a while, and um, I was looking to upgrade. When he says a while. I meant 26 years. Well, you know what's kind of funny is I'm mainly upgrading because the camera on this is just, or my old phone was just not great. But then I did realize that I didn't have any of my videos set to 1080. I had them reduced down. So part of the reason all my videos sucked for all this time is that I didn't have the setting correct. Um, so that actually bought the BlackBerry a little bit more time because I was like, oh you know what? God. My video quality is pretty good. And so, um, but I kept meaning to replace it to the Google Pixel. Um, shout out Google, give us sponsorship money. Um, and then I was actually bragging to you not that long ago that in however many, I think I've been using Blackberries for like 20 years, maybe mm -hmm. something like that. And I'd broken one screen in all that time. Yeah, yeah. And man, the world said a week, we can change that. A week ago, I put, the, I balanced my Blackberry precariously on the post of a front porch. And it was one of those ones that had like the little cap at the top, like a yeah, hip yeah, roof. Yeah. So it was at an angle like this. I'm like, that'll probably be fine. <laughs> and I'm there getting the key, putting in the door, and I just, it slides and it landed perfectly flat on the front pavement uh, porch. And I could tell by the sound, you it know, when gone. it hits a little different and you're like, mm. ooh. Mm. And I picked it up and man, this thing was shattered. It wasn't like a little cracked. It was, uh, it, it was bad. It looked like a bus shelter that someone hit with a BB gun. Like it was, it was. Uh, That's a not good. oddly specific way to describe it. Me and my buddies screen. used to shoot a bus shelter for <laughs> okay, BB guns. There's, there's not BB guns, actually. We take airsoft guns and then put ball bearings in them. Yeah, now HRM's about to send you a bill. This um, was, I think there's a statute of limitations on those. That was back in the old tip of porta potty over days. West I, End. Shout I, out the West End of Halifax, man. Can I speak on this phone for a second here? So I've been around him for all of maybe 20 minutes so far with this phone, and we're in a meeting. I'm still learning. And Chandler doesn't like typing on the screen. Um, and so he's just been no. in the middle of a meeting, like, Perfecto. We'll pay four thirty-five. <laughs> Tell them to inspect the house a little closer, and it's really getting annoying. So if you have a BlackBerry that you <laughs> can send in, I may actually be down for him to go back. Shout out to Clo. Clo sent me a picture of a key two that he has access to. He actually gave me, I think, my last one. Um, so I don't know. I still may switch back, but I, I'm getting used to it. I just don't like the typing. But moving on, we digress. For those who've been on. following, that think this is hilarious. It's kind of funny if it's something you're just tuning into. We'll never talk about it again. Yeah, hopefully um, this is the end of it. So, outside of that, today we got some interesting news from all over the world that we want to cover. You got a bunch. Chandler's all fired up. Yeah. He's also got some interesting numbers to share with everybody uh, regarding mortgage payments, interest rates. Uh, I'm going to dive into some stuff about cars. That's something I've talked about a few times on here. I enjoy flipping cars. Um, and there's some things that are really impacting the market. You guys have probably all heard of the shortages, how hard it is to get a vehicle, how the prices have gone nuts. A bunch of you, I'm sure, can be like, man, I can trade my car in for more than I paid if you bought it in yep. the last two years. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. And then kind of our main topic today is what we're expecting for the next six months. Um, this is a more of an opinion-based thing. So we don't have a ton of necessarily, I'd say, hard evidence. We are going to prepare I disagree. that. Well, we do. There, we there's, do. there's evidence for where the rates are headed and where inflation is headed. Yeah. Um, but it's imperfect speculation because... The, the the best minds in the world, far greater minds than us, are looking at this stuff, trying to speculate. Yeah. And I mean, they got it wrong when the pandemic hit. Um, everyone thought the market was going to collapse, and it did yeah. not happen. So, but but there's some logic behind these things. Looking at um, interest rates, inflation, and then in turn the market. I think now more than ever, it's clear that the correlation, or the causation between interest rates and the market is is huge. Yeah. And by extension, the correlation between the housing market and what's going on in housing, both resale and new construction, and Canada's economy. Like, if people didn't realize 
how much of a driver the housing market is for Canada's economy, I think they're about to realize. Yeah, it's it's the biggest thing that it drives every market. Just the commodities, everything kind of falls back on it. It's one of the largest asset bases for. It's the single biggest driver. Yeah. Well, government spending actually is the single. Biggest yeah. Driver. Anyway, but yeah, it's up there. Yeah. Um. So let's dive into it. Yeah. What do you yeah. Going on in your life. You've- What's going on in my life? Well, I I closed on that building, which I think everyone uh, knows. Yes. Um, and uh, that's been exciting. And it's funny. Every building is so different, and it's amazing. The culture is different, and you know we're pretty transparent. Yeah. Um, and um, this property, like all of my properties I've bought, and it's not as distressed as some other buildings in the sense that the building's better maintained. Yeah. But it is certainly quote unquote mismanaged from today's perspective. I.e., the rents are too low. Yep. It's very well managed from a practical the, the fantastic landlord but um the numbers just aren't where they need to be and it's it's not it's not a tenable situation uh, with the current figures and the building is also due for uh an update so that is a long-winded way of saying about to go through the renovation process yeah um and i took possession about a week ago today or something like that yeah. um and so i sent out my initial notice and there's already been one guy who's left uh, there's multiple people leaving the end of this month. Um, there are people planning for September. It's unreal how in this particular building, there's just a mass exodus and they're all getting the, you know, the, the compensation that they are entitled to, uh, which actually I'm going to, I'm going to outline this right now, Neil, cause I think some people would be curious. The DR5, if it is a larger building, i.e. over four units, what the tenant is entitled to is three months rental compensation or the equivalent in free rent, i.e., if they're paying 800 bucks a month, they either get 2,400 bucks plus three months' notice, or they can just not pay you rent for those last three months, and that's the equivalent of the $2,400. So that is what they are entitled to, both the time, the three months, and the money, three months' compensation. That said, they can um, they can debate or they can argue um this and, and take you to the tenancy board. And what they can challenge you on is one, is the work necessary? So people always ask about these things. It's the same with the form DR2. And I always tell them the first thing that you need to check is like, are you being truthful? Like, yeah. are you legitimately doing the work? Yeah. Um, there's no way to lie and do this stuff, right? Are you legitimately doing the work? That certainly helps. So if they take you to tenancy board, they may fight you on, is the work necessary? And secondly, uh, is this necessary work able to be done while they remain in the unit? Um, And so you have to meet the threshold of that if someone takes you to tenancy board. The last thing they can argue on is not the money, right? The the tenancy board cannot give them more than that three-month compensation, but they can give them more than the three months notice of time, okay? So um, I I just think it's important for people to know that people are going to be potentially serving... Form DR fives out there. Definitely. Um, so this is also why you try to avoid the tenancy board because it takes a long time to get the hearing. And while you are likely going to be successful if you're doing the right things, uh, people think tenancy board is is the boogeyman or whatever. But if you're being truthful, if you're genuinely doing the work, you will quote unquote win. I.e., they will have to vacate the property. Um, but it could take more time, and it's time out of your schedule as well. So uh, I always just try to approach things with even a longer timeline than three months if someone needs, and, and just find. Um, 
common ground with the tenants. And uh, the other option too is you can come in with more money. Like I come, we explain this as long as you're educated perfect, yeah. on the system and you explain to your tenants that, hey, look, like you're probably not going to get more money. And so for that, if them, that's the part that they want. Giving them an extra few thousand bucks might be the difference maker to get the timeline that you want. Yeah. Or for them, sometimes time is more important than the money. So you can, like you said, you can guarantee them the money uh, that they would get the three months compensation and then give them a longer date to, to move. But just yeah. try and work with them and figure out what is important to them. And if you're, again, if you're educated on it, you can actually kind of make those moves, stay within the guidelines and the rules uh, and and kind of work out a deal. That's the best way. And if you can avoid tenancy board, I think it is better. Um because the timeline, like it's yeah. annoying to have to wait and then wait and wait and wait and wait. And just the uh, negativity it brings into your life, man. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of, yeah, it, it's, it's sort of not worth it. But it's just been interesting because this building, um, people are, you know, leaving quicker than some of my buildings in the past. And I think it's probably a product of the fact that they had a really good relationship with the previous landlord. And he did some of the heavy lifting to introduce them to me and, and explain to them that this was coming down the pipeline, but that I would be working with them. So... Um, you know, when they open the door and they see you there, they don't just slam it in your face, right? And, yeah. and that that helps, and that's something the seller didn't have to do, but they did in this case. So uh, really fortunate with that and working through that process. Also, I don't necessarily need them to vacate super quick because I have a lot of projects on the go. Yeah. Right? What's new with you? I'm actually curious how the Airbnb thing is going. I know you've got a lot on your plate, but tell me a little bit about that. How's that going? Yeah, no, the Airbnb has been, like a bit, it's been a big focus because it's new and it, it did take a lot of ironing out. I'm feeling better. I think last episode I said, oh, I can sort of see where this is hard on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's gotten to the point where most of the kinks have been ironed out and now it's just guests turning through. So we're not getting a ton of messages of this missing, that missing, or this not working, that not working. Right. Um, working out the kinks. And so like we just went over the numbers the other night and like I'm definitely taking home, I'd say about 80% more rent than I was before. And again, it's nothing like, yeah, if you have a ton of units and only have one or two Airbnbs, the extra thousand dollars a month is not going to make or break your life. Um, but like we discussed, I think for someone that might be only having a few units or looking to add an additional income, a few thousand dollars can be a really big impactor on your ability to put together. It helps your next save down towards a down payment. Yeah, exactly. We so, talked about side hustles, man, and getting a down payment together. That's a good one. Yeah, so I'm I'm super happy with how it's going. Like we're fully booked up. I think until the end of September now. Um, we're actually going to be adding on a third one in the same building now. Whoa. Yeah. And so the reason okay, I'm feeling so, so confident. so you're obviously liking it a little bit. Yeah. The reason I'm feeling so confident is um, like the rental market here is so strong that my fallback is we'll just do furnished rentals. Right. At yeah. About four or $500 a month premium for the furniture. Um, so which we're, I think, comfortable to yeah. do. So. Or you sell the furniture when you're done. Like you'd have no problem selling that furniture even right now because it's also hard to get furniture right now. Yeah. So like, again, this is a, a thing where timing is so important in everything you do. And like right now, the timing's so awesome. So I'm like, because like you're saying, the furniture can go, we can easily rent it as a furnished unit or like whatever we need to do, there's an option. So right now I'm comfortable to go for it. So we're going to add the third unit on. Uh, so that's going to be three in Bedford. And then we're looking at adding on maybe one in Spryfield as well. And one of my units out there. Um, just because... Spryfield's a neighborhood in our city which doesn't have a ton of short-term accommodation rentals. It does like, not. It does, no. There's no hotels, effectively, right? Yeah. Um, there's, I think, one on Chocolate Lake. Uh, mm-hmm. Outside of that, I don't know if there's much for, like, formalized hotels, and it's had massive growth. It's probably been one of the biggest growth neighborhoods in our city for, like, homes built. Also, people don't realize that the Airbnb rental market isn't just tourists. It's people who come from Mostly for work. Not. and And what if it's someone who wants to spit t- like split time between, say like the actual Herring Cove area. Maybe they have family in Herring Cove, yeah. right? But they're here for a wedding or for a short job posting that maybe is in Bears Lake. That yeah. actually could be a great common ground between their family, 
um, and and their work. And these people that come for two weeks, like if they're coming for work, they aren't going to be eating out every day. They're like, I want to be able to go do groceries, yeah, cook and eat the food I want to eat, and have my space to be able to do what I want to do. And living out of a hotel room for 10, 12, 15 days kind of sucks. So yeah. that's where we're kind of targeting. And again, that's why I'm like liking the Spryfield area because there's not a ton of hotels, so our competition's actually reduced. Um, and so we're able to do that. Now, downtown, if you do an Airbnb in your downtown or a, a touristy location, yeah, you're going to get predominantly tourists. But we discussed it before the last time uh, my Airbnb, like I was getting people uh, from IBM that want to come for four weeks at a time. Nice. We had another shift worker who does two weeks on here, two weeks off. And so he's like, can I just start booking it in? Can I just get two weeks booked in for every month coming up? Ooh, um, and so that's like, perfect. Yeah, so we like there's a ton of people. And be like, yep, let's take this off Airbnb, and you can just pay me direct. Well, exactly. And so you got to get to a comfort level, though. Like we aren't doing it for a little bit. We said we couldn't do it to start because, again, technically it's kind of awkward thing where you don't have a lease. Then you don't really have a way to get them out, um, and there's no insurance. So there's a lot of reasons where we're like, I think we're going to keep running it through Airbnb for now. Interesting. Until we have a long like, okay, we've done this four or five times. We have a great relationship with the guy. There's never been an issue. Now, man, that's a great thing to think about for people because I was look how quick I was just like save those fees, rent it to them direct, and you raise some great points there about he, he said it instantly yeah. too he's like we could just do this off airbnb because i'm paying 500 dollars in fees every time i come here and then we're paying another couple hundred dollars in fees and i'm like eh, that's a good point um but right now like it's like, I said, yeah, it's like just, let's see how this works let's do a couple let, let's and then, build yeah. this relationship first i've been burnt too many times on like hooking somebody up and it seems to blow back in my face so i got a question for you because Lindsay asked this shout out to Lindsay and taylor um what are you doing for cancellations uh, I think we said it. I think we responded to that message, oh, okay. um, but I think it's flexible cancellation. Like it's like the medium term one. Um, I can look it up here really quick. Because I actually I don't don't know um, what mine is because I have someone else manage it, and uh, that's working out well. Um, obviously, June was slammed. July is also slammed. August is pretty slammed. So um, you know, it, it's good. I, I'm still not maybe as you know, jazzed up on it as you are, but you're managing them yourself or with Kristen's help. So you're seeing a little more cash flow for it. But I don't know what the cancellation we have on on ours is. Um, here's a little plug. Like I messaged back in the, into I, to that, but it was it was the flexible one where it's yeah, like okay. up to two days before or three days before I think you can cancel. Okay. Um, again, we haven't had an issue with that really too much. I think we had yeah. one cancellation, but oddly enough, that day at lunch, it booked up for the next two nights then. Really? Immediately. Man, that, that, so. that shows a, a really good built-in demand. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? Anything... Uh, so I'm actually starting to shop again. I know I've told everyone like I'm parking the brakes, parking the brakes. Um, I'm cleaning up a bunch of financing on my end. Um, so I'm really happy about that. And it's going to result with me having some cash in hand, which when I want to use. When you say cleaning up fi- financing, just to recap for people, that means you're replacing some higher interest private money that was meant to kind of be holdovers as you did the renovations. Now you're placing it with more conventional money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For anyone who's listened before, go back, check out some of our earlier episodes. But basically, I took a shitload of private money to get into the game and get the ball rolling because nobody's going to lobby a bunch of money when you're new to this and you don't necessarily have a huge income and all those things. Um, and so I still have some of that outstanding because it's been an easy button for me in a lot of ways when there was great deals that came up and the seller was like, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. There is an environmental issue. We have a quote to fix it. Da, da, da. A lot of banks aren't willing to deal with that uh, and they're rented for 500 bucks a month. So. I had to use private money to get into these properties. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did, but obviously I've been carrying it and it's very expensive and average is like 1% a month basically. Um, and so now I'm, I'm in a position where we finish enough buildings that I'm able to start doing takeouts. 
I was originally planning to do CMHC takeouts. Uh, because the rates have gone up so much, I am now going to do just conventional takeouts. Yeah, so CMHC and means you could do 85% loan to value, which would take you out more money. Yeah. But now because the... We'll the talk about all the Patreon too. And check out the Patreon. We talked about... Uh, the, the debt service coverage ratio, yeah. all that, that stuff. Um, right. Now you're 75% loan value, so a little less takeout. Exactly. So I'm getting a little bit less takeout, a little bit higher interest rate, but I'm going to do a two-year term to get me basically through this hump of higher interest rates, hopefully. Um, and at that point in time, look at doing a CMHC, get a little bonus cash. Um, but it's, So it's allowing me to have some cash, and I'm just starting to see that the market has slowed. Everyone knows this, the market has slowed. And so there's starting to be some deals, again, kind of sitting out there. Like anyone, like I have, if you're an investor and you're looking at doing it, like hit us up. Uh, I'm seeing houses out there that you can convert into duplexes and triplexes and walk away with lift on them. Um, but and is that what you're looking at? or you're Those aren't for me. I'm just yeah. saying to anyone out there. Um, and then for me, I'm starting to look at some buildings, and there's some opportunities that I think are coming across the table for people who are just sick and tired of all the cost increases, rate increases, inability to cre- increase rents, um, and just the, the all that stuff that they're facing. And so I want to start buying a few things and making a little bit of a move. I want to avoid getting into buying too much of too much old inventory, and I do want to get into building new. So that's really going to be the focus. Right. But I will buy a few small projects to get me through for the next couple of years and kind of keep the money moving. Um, and so I'm just kind of out there looking for that stuff again. But again, the deal, like I've always said, has to be like a home run, home run, home run. Otherwise, I'm not going to touch on it. Yeah, it's also going to be interesting because a couple of things have come up that were multis. And one of them, I mean, one of them went conditional the other day. And it's like, damn, man, I don't know how they're going to finance that. Like, yeah. I know how challenging it is to finance and refinance some of these things right now. And, you know, that's 20% more than I'd want to pay for that property. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know how people are going to get it done. So, by extension, the price comes down. And this is sort of, you know, people are clamoring, well, the good news is, is the housing market slows, then buyers will have a better uh, opportunity to buy things. That's not exactly the case because housing has actually gotten more expensive lately. And we're going to break that down for you guys here shortly. Yeah. Um, but... You know, the model that we would do where you're effectively looking at carrying something negative for a short period of time and then getting it up to market, there could be some deals where, because people just can't finance them at the seller's asking price anymore. Yeah. So now they have to come down in price and there could be some opportunities there. Exactly. And just trying to like, I'm going to be looking for properties that like, we'll just turn over slowly. Like I'm not necessarily going to do the full got out in one go. Um, so just being a little bit more picky on what I go after. And then again, with a focus on eventually getting to new development, because I, I believe that something's going to change and there's going to need to be a ton of development. And so there's going to have to be some sort of incentive that comes out here soon enough. They have increased a lot of the financing options, which makes it a lot more viable, but it's still really tough to get get them up in an affordable manner, especially when things cost so much. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I, again, I haven't made anything too, too crazy. I've been trying to put a lot of time into getting this podcast to Patreon, uh, our group rolling. Um, and so it's also summertime. Honestly, I've been had a lot of people visiting from out of town and it's been fun. It's kind of crazy. It feels weird to be a Monday and be at the bar, but every night this, mm-hmm. this week and yeah. every night for the last two weeks downtown. Martini Halifax, Mondays, let's go. Yeah, Martini Monday and Taco Tuesday. But, um, but every night this week and has been Whiskey busy, Wednesday. Busy. Whiskey Wednesday. I'm going to go through all of them. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it's just been kind of fun enjoying some time. I actually went up to the cottage. It's not finished yet, but we just went out there and swam for a bit and like just, just trying to get a little bit of that in. Like love to work, but at the same time, you kind of need to be able to disconnect and enjoy some of these times. Uh, otherwise, you feel like things are passing you by. Like, what are you, what are you doing it all for, right? So yeah, yeah. that's kind of my update, but like, let's get into some real stuff here. Yeah, yeah, let's get into some stuff. And I'm going to start with a really cool Airbnb story since we were just talking about that. There's this guy that they call the Wolf of Airbnb, and it's this 30-year-old guy oh, nice. down, in, um, down in Manhattan. And what he was doing 
he's actually like FBI is now like arrested him and charging him. Like this is like his life's about to get really bad. But it was oh, really Jesus. good for a while because he made something like one point six million dollars. They're alleging and possibly more by doing the following: he would rent apartments all over Manhattan. Um, they've identified at least eighteen that he's done this. As soon as he would sign the lease, he just didn't pay for anything. From day one, he never paid any rent, and he immediately threw it up on Airbnb and other short-term rental sites in buildings that this was not even allowed, because I don't think you're allowed to do that on on, uh, Manhattan, period. But he would just do it anyway, Um, and he would not pay his rent. Of course, the landlord would say, you've got to pay my rent, and he'd make excuses. He would kick it down the road, or he would flat just squat there because his tenancy rights were so high um, or so strong, and he just short-term rented them 18 different units they've identified that he was doing this all over Manhattan, making well over a million dollars as a 30-year-old that they were calling the wolf of Airbnb. My Um, God. Yeah. Yeah. This is, again, this is where some of the tenancy rules get out of hand and where you lose some ability to regain control of your property and, like... I get both ends of it, and I understand why they're put in, and it's protections for the tenants. But then it gets to a point where, like, Manhattan's a prime example where it can be so bad that you can also get extremely taken advantage of. And squatters and things like that take place a lot in Manhattan and in Toronto and stuff. But this gets hits the news because he was probably public. He probably also blew a bunch of money on stupid stuff. Oh, he was on social media, like, living a baller lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's kind of... He probably thought that the worst thing that would happen to him was some sort of bad... Uh, tenancy board issues like no no the feds are coming for you yeah yeah so that's crazy story it's good that they're um, slapping down them at least like i just like yeah, I, you can't be doing that nonsense like can you imagine if someone yeah. rented a unit in your building and then started throwing it on airbnb i actually had a tenant ask me about this like hey we're gonna be away for a month so we're gonna you know is it cool if we sublet it for a month and i go yeah are you subletting it for a month or are you airbnb it for a month? And like, mm-hmm. oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, yeah, because you can't be airbnb my unit. Uh, it reminded me actually of a really unfortunate situation that happened to some people that I know where they actually subletted a place. Yep. But were paying the former tenant, and unbeknownst to them, the tenant was them. just not paying the landlord. So this built up for months and months, and of course the landlord was contacting the tenant of record saying, hey, where's my rent? And the tenant was ducking them, making up fake emails, oh, this has been delayed, blah, 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 blah. And unbeknownst to the now subletting tenants who were paying their rent on time mm-hmm. and everything, and they ended up being the ones who you know potentially lose the apartment, and the other person has just pocketed three months' rent um, for, for a place. My first duplex, they moved in. They paid the, maybe the first month, never paid again. They rented out the basement, uh, took the rent themselves, and never ever paid. Chased them around for months and months and months. They finally left, and they stole all my appliances. Man, I remember that. that was I my love first the fact that they the stole game. your appliances, too. Cause like, you know Just what? Just a spit in the face. I'm going to take this stove. Yeah. What's and you know what? They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't steal the appliances. They sold the appliances. To be oh, the, the, totally. the security to pay down deposit and the first month's rent at their next place. Yeah. Um, speaking of appliances, this was a news story that was hilarious out of BC. You want to take this one? No, I, I know what you're doing. Got milk, Neil? Milk? Yeah, so... Got milk? You might have the specific details, but from what I gathered, there was a realtor showing a home uh, in the BC area, and they must have had like a little like Nest camera or something. Everyone's got cameras now. That's another thing. Like if you're a realtor, like oh think about this for a second. Like every in general, just cameras. You shouldn't be doing this. Actually, like preface, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be like, ah, oh, there's no cameras. You know what? Maybe I'll yeah, dip in the fridge. Yeah, cameras only keep honest people honest, basically. But yes, yeah. But this guy was just doing his thing, waiting during an inspection or something, and he opened the fridge or waiting for his I clients. Think, to I think he's waiting for his clients to arrive. So he was hanging out in the kitchen, and it's not unheard of to open appliance because. 
people, when, when buyers ask me, like, are the sellers still living here? Yeah. I open the fridge. Yeah. And if, in the if fridge, all the shelves are smashed out of it, too, like, yeah, that's it's, something it's, you need to consider. To what you don't do is grab something from the fridge. Do a little taste test. And treat yourself. <laughs> um, this guy, so bad is taking something from the fridge. Yeah. Extra bad is maybe taking something like milk, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. like you know, maybe you're reaching the, oh, there's a strawberry. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm, yeah. none of none of this is defensible. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm trying to defend it. Um, he drank from the carton. Straight from the carton. Straight from the carton. You know, like, he, he probably could have got away with it if he poured it in a glass. He, in my he, own house. <laughs> this man. Also, I gotta, oh my it's God. It's also weird because he doesn't know if the people in that house were drinking straight from the carton. <laughs> Like, Man, that's what he hoped. That <laughs> it's just weird on all levels. Like, it is so weird. It is so weird. Just, just show houses where they put out cookies. I was, I was in one the other day. It was great. I ate yeah. like four cookies waiting for my client. Did you ever get in that situation where you're not entirely sure the cookies or chocolate are for realtors? Like they're in a bowl, but the bowl's not on the island. It's on the kitchen counter. And it's like, uh, is this a cookie for me? I, I think that's a. Man, I think there's two people who have full allowance to eat all the cookies, and that's realtors and Santa Claus. Yeah. And so We're I... We're both jolly. Exactly. <laughs> I feel no stress in eating the cookies off the countertop. Yeah. But this dude uh, helped himself to some milk. I don't know what the repercussions of that. Like, how do you even go to the discipline committee and be like, like, what is what is the precedent for milk drinking out of someone's fridge? Severe dehydration. Like, it, it, it's it's a... Uh, He's worked to the bone, and he was severely dehydrated from running between houses. <laughs> yeah. And he reached for the milk. Got milk? Um, Love it. Love it. I got to explain and talk about this one because I feel like if you haven't already seen it, you're going to see it. Dubai coming in with the craziness like they always do. And you know what? At first, I thought it was kind of nuts like what they were doing over there with these crazy builds and doing nuts stuff. I think it was Saudi Arabia. It was Saudi Arabia, but within the the region. But um, they always did the crazy builds and it's actually kind of working. And they have a tourist scene purely because of the crazy stuff that's been built well, in UAE. Architectural tourism is a real thing. It's kind of the reason you go to Europe in a lot of cases to see their old architecture. Yeah. You can go to these places and see the world's craziest new modern architecture. I want to go. I still haven't gone, but I want to go to see this stuff. But anyways, they are planning to build a 170-kilometer-long building yep. that is 500 meters tall and supposed to be around 200 meters wide, so it's like a little sliver. And it's going to be completely mirrored on the outside. It is like a blade in the earth. It's going to be the biggest bird killer in the world. It's yeah. going to be phenomenal. Migrating birds are just going to smash into this thing in Saudi <laughs> Arabia. But They have come up with a great name. It's called The Line. The Line. And if you see photos of it, it is literally a line in the sand. It kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Great Wall of China. Like it just stretches for 170 kilometers. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a 170 kilometer skyscraper uh, effectively. And then what they're going to do is stacked living. So that, like, in your little pillar, you'll have your entire amenities, like your grocer, your local restaurants, will all be in your kind it's of a city. cohort. Yeah, like stacked cities for. They all are planning homes. to house nine million people in here. That's larger than Canada's largest city. Yeah, like it's insanity. Um, I think it'd be super cool. I actually kind of hope that they go through with this. I don't know what they need to do. One hundred and seventy kilometers. No, start with like, a kilometer. I, I was gonna say, if you did like one kilometer. I feel like that in itself would have been an epic. Like a one kilometer long mirrored building would have been insanity. Well, even like to, to test the model, but I imagine they're going to build it in stages. I can't imagine they're going to build it all at once. Um, but they're also going to have this fast commuter thing where you'll be able to go to like from one end to the other in like 30 minutes. The guy who makes mirrored windows in the Middle East is just like, like, finally. Like, yes, this is my break. He's like, all this time, my only, 
my only buyer was interrogation rooms at police stations. But now, <laughs> now, baby, we got something. Well, you're going to be pumping it out. Anyways, they have no, I didn't, I couldn't find any budget numbers because I wanted to see the budget. And I was like, it's got to be a trillion dollars. Like, it's got to be. doing this. The budget is not an issue. Yeah, he's like, it's got to be a trill. But anyways, they, they haven't done anything. It's going to have its own transport system inside. It looks super, super cool. Yeah. Take a look at the photos. There's a bunch of green space. Like, obviously, the renderings always look crazy. Again, part of me believes that we might actually see some of this go up because when these guys say that they're going to do it, they have been pulling through. Like, they got artificial ski hills. They got the world's tallest building. They've got, like, man-made islands. They've made another world in the sea where you can buy space on the world where there's, you can put your house. Like, there's crazy, the craziest yeah. stuff ever. They have it all. The largest aquariums, the largest everything. So, I'm like, I want to see this come through. Honestly, if, if 170 is too long, just do 10, and I'll still be super pumped. Well, um, man, yeah, it's uh, it, it speaks to a little bit of trying to be environmentally friendly because if you build up and you build contained, you now don't have to have uh, people driving cars, and, and yeah. you don't have as big of a footprint on the actual land. So kind of interesting to see how that all shakes down. I mean, like you said, even if they do one kilometer, that's still going to be one of the coolest buildings ever. in the world. Yeah. Um, just going back to realtors, I saw this stat the other day um, that the number of realtors in the U.S. during the last two years um, went from 1.38 million in January 2020 oh to 1.53 million in January of 2022, which is an 11% increase. Doesn't sound crazy. Doesn't feel as big as I thought it would be. In my head, it's gone up by like 300%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here locally, um, it's gone up a by lot 300%. of new realtors. Uh, the funny thing is... They rightly noted as part of this study that, yeah, for the last couple of years, there has been a real increase in um, purchase price, uh, which then, based on the commission system, means more money for, for, for realtors. Um, volume. And, and there has been a, a big amount of volume. But I can certainly say here locally, and now that we're having this pullback, as we reach this peak and maximum number of realtors, because that same figure, I guarantee you, goes across Canada and here where we are in, in Nova Scotia. We're at least eleven percent up in, in number of realtors, I'd say. Now volume's dropping. Yeah. Like we we talked about how in Toronto, um, they had like their lowest volume in about twenty years, even though the city's been growing so much over twenty years for them to actually have a, a, a lo- their lowest figure in twenty years. The same is happening, I guess, out in BC in the Fraser Valley Valley area, where they just had their lowest June. Like their fourth lowest June in the last 22 years, and mm-hmm. if you count like the number of, you know, really bad down markets or even obviously COVID and recession, for them to deliver their fourth lowest volume of sales in that area, um, is is huge. And again, that's an area that's exploded in the actual volume of the number of homes. So you've got probably twice as many homes, but you're selling 20% less. All of that. Um, that's it. Like uh, some of these agents are going to get out of this industry as quick as they got in. Yeah. I mean, I think, but they're going to drink their damn milk before they go. Yeah. <laughs> like get while getting good. Get the milk and cookies. Cause there might not be as many deals. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, it was an interesting time. We kind of saw it coming. We're like volume started to taper, but agent counts started to explode. And like, that's just a recipe for disaster in general. Um, Again, I like it depends. Everything's hyper local and hyper local. I think our market's going to have a decent amount of volume pick up in the fall, and so I think we might be able to survive. Again, yeah, I don't know how much our, our percentage has gone up, though. I'd like yeah. to know how many realtors we've had, yeah, uh, yeah. what kind of increase we've had. So we're going to talk about our projections here, like uh, we said in, in the second half of the show, kind of what we see for the next um, six to nine months. Yeah. Um, 
But it's interesting in BC, and it's the same in Toronto. What's been going on is the core area still is being pretty resistant. Like they're they're holding the value quite well. But some of these periphery areas, like the Fraser Valley Valley area, saw the biggest increase during the last two years in the BC Vancouver area market, and they're the biggest. They're they're giving it back more than anywhere else. Their volumes way down, but also their values are way down. And in contrast. Like the core and the condo market in Vancouver is being pretty resilient, and you're seeing wow. the same thing in Toronto, and you're seeing the same thing in Halifax. Here's here's why I'm gonna tell you right now. I got this stat this morning. The average two bed. What do you think an average two bedroom condo rents for in Toronto? An average two bedroom. Average. Condo. Remember, this includes everything. This rents includes all the old rents. People Toronto, been locked 2900. in. Twenty twenty nine seventy nine. Oh, I got one. He's doing pretty good. Love it. Doing pretty good. Okay, Damn. Yeah. one bedroom. That's, that's pricey. One bedroom. Uh. Twenty one fifty. Twenty two sixty nine. And Short a bachelor. Change, a bachelor eighteen seventy three. Eighteen twenty nine. Wow, not, not bad. bad. All right. So and like but this is why you're saying the condo market's getting yeah. strong. Their two bedrooms are up fifteen percent year over year. One bedrooms are up twenty percent year over year. Bachelors are up twenty five percent year These over year. These are rents. These are rents. Yeah. For condo bachelors, one bedrooms and two bedrooms in the downtown area. Yeah. So that's kind of I think what's giving some resilience to that market is a lot of investors are like, yeah, like, well, these rents are going to be like this for a while. And I was chatting with a fellow here who's been in the game probably for, if I had to guess, around 40 plus years uh, in the rental market, if not longer, 50. And uh, he's got rentals all over the city. And he said he was here for the last time here in Halifax when rates went through the roof, inflation was going crazy, and all these rent controls and everything came into place. And he said it went ballistic. He said it did nothing good for really anybody. Except for the people who already owned, because he said, when I went to go rent an apartment, I put up the rent. And back then, he said, I put an ad in the Herald. And he's oh like, my gosh. He said, I used to get like the odd yeah. call that trickled in, whatever. This all went on. He said, I'd get 50 calls. He said, I have a lineup down the street. Yeah. And he said, yeah, so the rent control is supposed to help out with affordability and help the people who are struggling to get into units. He said it did the whole opposite, because when I had 50 people there, out of those 50, a few of them were ultra qualified with amazing yeah. jobs, incomes, 100%. tons of cash in the bank. Yeah, he hey, said, we're two doctors here. Uh, you know, we're going to be here for two years, so yeah. we'll sign the lease. We'll pay an extra hundred bucks. And unfortunately, yeah. he couldn't take the risk on someone who didn't necessarily have as much income or didn't have a perfect credit score. And like, especially where he's like, I don't know where costs are going to go and where things are going to be at. Um, and so he said, like, buckle in. Like, if you have good stuff now, hold on to it. You're going to be able to rent it for an amazing rate for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's going to set a new low. So. Uh, our new high, yeah new baseline for for these rents. So every single person I've talked to lately has said that their rental demand for their units, both pricing wise and the sheer number of people inquiring, is through the roof. Yeah. And the reason this is happening is that the real estate market is driven by first time home buyers, and they often vacate a rental unit when they purchase their home. Well, as rates have gone up and as the buyers have lost confidence in the market, now they are no longer purchasing, which means their unit is not coming available. Right, so there's even a, a further shortage of rental units, and I'm telling you, man, it's bad now. We we rely heavily on the student population totally. here. Like we have a big flux of students who come in in September. They are going to come back, and there's going to be nothing available for them, which in turn is going to drive rental rates even higher. Rents are are going through the roof right now. Exactly, and it's good, like you said, it's going to continue to go that way. Um, this is actually one of the things I told the tenants who are leaving my place. It's like you need to get now. While the getting is good. That's what I keep saying to them too. I'm like, it's not going to get any better. It's The only way it's going to get better, we've said it a hundred thousand times, is a shitload of inventory. Inventory doesn't come on market in two weeks. It comes on market no. in two years and we don't have enough cranes or shovels in the ground right now for two years time already. So like 
how in the world is it going to get any better? Um, but anyways, I want to dive in. Well, do you have a couple other pieces of news you want to hit on? Because we're kind of going on here, but I was going to dive into the car stuff because people want to get some yeah, information yeah. on that. Thanks for listening to this point. Don't forget, like, subscribe, comment if you have any questions about what we talked about before. In the second half of this, we're going to go in. Neil's talking about cars. We're talking about our big predictions for the next six to nine months. What's inflation going to do? What's the housing market going to do? What's the world going to do in the next six to nine months? We're checking that out. Uh, and we're also going to talk about our Patreon. If you're taking a break right now, this might be a good chance to pop over to our Patreon. We just got it up there. It's going to have all the extra information going to the deep levels that we just don't have time to cover on here. So check that out and keep listening. Thanks so much. Well, I wanted to hit a couple things. One, my, my buddy Mark sent me this, and it was super cool. We were talking about condos and you know how expensive things are. Yeah. There was this person that was marketing a fractional ownership share of their condo. So the condo's yeah. valued at about 800K, yeah. but they're willing to sell you um, the equivalent of 2.5%, which was like uh, $20,000, roughly, yeah, some, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So they were going to sell you for $20,000, you could have 2.5% ownership of this person's condo. It's called fractional ownership. Um, and it's a way, their marketing is like, well, here's a way that you can get yourself on the property ladder uh, for a more attainable amount. And so this is going to become way more common. With technology, like NFT technologies, cryptos, and all those kinds of things, they actually have a lot of merit in this where they can handle contracts and they can be extremely complicated to have a lot of people on something like this. Like in today's day and age, it's not worth taking a house and fractionalizing it to 1% for 10 grand sections because the fees associated with it and the management of all that contracting would, would really impact point. it. But now yeah. through the technology, it can be set up to actually run that. And you're going to see this fractional ownership thing take a lot of merit. You're seeing it more on the high end right now, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to trickle down. There's, there's, I'm dealing with a, um, a listing for a, for a family friend and I'm, I'm part of it for them. I appreciate them bringing me in on it. And it's a very uh, high end exclusive style home, um, about five to $7 million range. And the one of the people that we met with that was going to be involved in the in the sale process mentioned a company called Picasso who will then basically buy the home from you, fractionalize it into like into maybe five sections, and then sell those out. And because it's likely going to be a vacation home for somebody, wow! Um, it allows it's kind to of do like that. A, a condo share or a, a timeshare. It turns a home structure. into a timeshare, and yeah. so that's what that was for. But it also for a lot of people, they said a lot of their buyers, because uh, I end up talking to them. A lot of their buyers seem to be people who are also just trying to invest, and they want to invest because these these high end luxury homes in real estate and these unique places a lot of times have crazy returns. They have big swings, sometimes, and so some so, people yeah. aren't necessarily as concerned. Like I don't really need the four weeks during the middle of the summer. Like I don't mind having a worse placement of time, but I want to put my money into a few different markets and kind of hedge my bets by having a house in France, having a house in California, having a house in New York. Uh, but I'm not prepared to drop forty million dollars, so I'll take my original ten and, and spread it across the board. And you're going to see that happen a lot more with standard homes to what you're saying. We're even seeing man, it here that's now. so interesting because one of the things I was like, oh man, that what a hassle! You'd have to set up a corporation, you'd have to have individual shares, you'd effectively be selling someone one share of the twenty shares that exist. Now you've got to do corporate taxa- taxes every year, and it was going to be a nightmare. But that NFT approach to it, it changes the game. A lot is, of it's online. A lot of the technology is already in place, and it's kind of like infinitely scalable. Uh, it adds a lot of liquidity. There's a lot of interesting stuff with that. Um, and we're even seeing it on a smaller scale here in Halifax. Like there's a developer building um, a very beautiful, big, fancy, modern home in our north end. 
and he's effectively doing a similar model where he's taking each level and turning them into condos and he's going to sell them off as condos because we yeah, don't necessarily yeah. have someone that's prepared to spend two and a half million dollars on a house in the North End quite yet. Yeah. Um, but we might have if some people are interested in spending 800000 on a floor that's 1,200 square feet. It's still cheaper than a brand new condo. You get a yard, you get a parking spot. It's gorgeous, crazy finishes that they're doing on it. Yeah. Um, so I see David and an Sean marketing that. It's super cool. Uh, they're also give, bringing this option to people like, hey, Say you've got this big house and maybe you're an empty nester and you don't want the whole house anymore. If you would be content to live on one level, we'll turn your house into a three-level condo. You get the main level. We sell off the top two. Exactly. Uh, all these new approaches to real estate are, are going to be more prevalent because the technology is there, the savviness is there, and the price is prohibitive. So people need, need to be creative. Yeah. Um, I got another thing talking about pricing um, that I really want to delve into here because there is this idea of buyers out there saying, oh man, um, you know, I'm going to wait till the market crashes and, oh, this is great. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to get a super discount on a house. And other people are cheering from the sidelines be like, yeah, bring those prices down. This is fantastic. The actual affordability of housing right now, purchasing um, is worse than it's been the entire part of this pandemic because of the rates. So you and I sat down and we did this quick exercise where we looked at at the absolute best time for rates, when money was at its cheapest, around 2.5%, if you went out and got a $500,000 mortgage with a 25-year AM, five-year term, you would be paying about $2,239, yep. right? So 500000 mortgage at 2.5% interest worked out to be 2200 and change a month. Yep. If you went out and bought, say, the same home, that and now it went down fifty grand in price, so you only needed a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar mortgage, paying today's rate, a fixed five year. I don't know what you're seeing out there, about five percent, roughly, is two thousand six hundred and seventeen dollars. So it actually costs about four hundred dollars more a month right now to purchase, not only not the same home, but the same home at a fifty thousand dollar reduction. So if you can get it for fifty thousand dollar reduction, and you might actually in this market. You might. You're but, still paying more. But you're still paying more on a monthly basis. Yeah. So um, that's a real reality check. It also, um, you know, for some of these buyers who have been waiting, trying to time the bottom and trying to be opportunistic, realize that uh, whatever you think you're saving on the asking price, you're eating a lot of that on a higher interest rate. It also means maybe stop being jerks to people who paid $50,000 more three months ago and be like, yeah, those idiots overpaid. It's like, well, they actually are paying significantly less than you month to month buying the exact same home. So there's ticket, like sticker price for sure, but month to month homes are, are far, far more expensive right now. Exactly. I still think though, yes, houses are far more expensive right now. It's a temporary thing though. So if you look at what you're going to pay in interest on that, so it's an extra $400 a month in interest, it's an extra five grand a year in interest. So for two years, your rate's going to be higher. In two years, you're both going to get the same renewal. Your rate's going to drop back down. Their rate's going to pop back up. And now you paid an extra ten grand in interest. You actually paid four sixty for the house that they yep. paid five hundred for. Long term, you can still come out with a really good deal. It also so may be, it, but it depends on your situation. Yep. And so, if yep. the monthlies are really the important, but I think it goes both ways. And so, well, pre approval is important. Exactly, your pre approval is right? important. And so, this may change your budgeting and ability to buy certain things significantly. But again, like if you see a good deal today and the price is really good, don't be hell bent on the interest rate. Be like, look, I'm going to take a twenty four month term and look to renew and be smart about it and proactive. And if you add it all up. You're going to be in this mortgage for 25 years, if not longer, because you're going to renew it. Like these little interest rate swings are going to take place multiple times throughout your ownership, and it really shouldn't dictate exactly where you pay your price. So, in general, the things we've talked about before in other episodes about what makes a house intrinsically good, 
follow those principles and go with it. And as long as you can afford the payments, it can make a lot of sense. It doesn't mean go out there and buy the 14% interest necessarily and don't take crazy expensive money. No. But yeah. if you're getting the prime money that's available at that time, kind of rationalize it out in your head and you just understand it goes like this. And so, yeah, the rates are up a bit right now. The house price can be down. There's a deal that can be had on both ends. When the rates are down really low, if you get a good deal on a house, uh, you're going to be fine when the rates go up and vice versa. When the rates are up, there's deals on homes that you couldn't have gotten when the rates were down, but you're going to pay a higher rate for a temporary basis. And long term, when you stretch out 30 years, it'll really, it balances out. Yeah, I think also it, it can kind of be an argument for why people in this climate would still be taking the variable rate because it's going to be significantly lower than the the five-year post, which is probably around five. Yeah. Um, and as we're going to talk about in a little bit, there's a lot of reason to think that these rates are going to come back down in the new year a little bit. So it's just a really interesting observation, though, because, yes, the 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 ask prices are coming down a little bit, but with interest rate up, people are actually paying more for their home right now than they would have if they bought at the quote-unquote height of the market uh, four or five months ago. To put it in context... In Halifax right now, um, you would have had your salary, your household income would have had to have increased about 20% to buy the same home today, the mm-hmm. same price home as in March. So that means like the $500,000 home in March at the height of the market, um, you would need a household income of X. Now today, because of the higher interest rate, you need a household income of X plus about 20%. Yeah. Right. So that just shows how purchasing power has dropped significantly because of these higher interest rates. Yeah. Again, on the good news, the prices have probably have pulled back about 10, 10%. So there is a bit of offset there. But yeah, it's so much, it's always a changing market. Again, all this really, this is why it's good to talk to someone who's educated and understands what you're looking at because I think there's always the time to buy or to sell can always kind of be in that moment. You need to plan your life around it more so than just the market. Um, and there's ways to always make money or come out of it ahead. And now you see might sell for a little bit less right now, but you might also get into a home for a little bit less that you wouldn't have been able to get into otherwise. Um, so there, there, there's options out there for everything. Um, so talking about interest rates because it's like yeah, the let's get into everything. The, let's get to the car thing. I want to talk about the cars a little bit. Yeah. It's something you guys this all know bag. I'm interested into. Uh, interested in. I've always done it. It's kind of where I started. I was selling car parts, car products. Then I was flipping vehicles before I got into houses. And all the way along the line, I've tried to kind of flip my personal uh, vehicles. And so uh, that's something that I've done fairly successfully. And it's allowed me to have enjoyable, I'd say higher end vehicles or more expensive cars or unique vehicles without spending crazy money. And I believe that the car is a huge, huge expense for everybody that can really chew up your expendable income and, and really can no kill your net worth. Yeah. Um, and so to what's going on right now where they say the market is going to crash because the market, as you know, for the last two years has been going up the stat over the last two years, the used car market, I believe is up 42%. Jeepers. 42%. So cars are up probably more than houses. So we're both is, the same. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or about the same, well, depending it, where you live. Yeah. It, so the used car market yeah. is up 42%, which is absolute insanity. Like I said, many of you can be like, I bought a car two years ago and the dealer is offering me as much or more. Yeah. To a lot of you, I would say, take it if there's a way to get by for six months, um, because pretty much everyone is saying that the market's going to come down and it's a mixed bag of reasons. First off, this is on the used car again, not, not new cars. This is on the used car side. The average used car financing was 499. Uh, I was at the dealer two days ago and I asked him what it was. He said now it's probably about seven nine nine, expecting it to go to eight nine nine. Damn. So it's almost that- doubled. And they do a much higher rate of growth on the used car financing. It was always more expensive than yeah. prime financing on a on a home or an asset. But this is a depreciating asset. It's a higher risk thing yeah. for them to be loaning on. 
And I think this is also an indicator of they're expecting the market to go down. And so like they factor in that risk cost into their loans. Like, there's, there's also more default, right? So they have to build in, uh, I think they're called like loss ratios or, or loss cushions. Exactly. Yeah. There's a loss ratio that they're factoring in and that's what they're expecting is the defaulting. And so that extra cost is actually going to be in taking losses on vehicles and having to reclaim vehicles. Mm-hmm. And so you end up having to pay for that when they expect this coming. And that's why, again, the rates have gone up more than the actual prime rate has gone up. Um, and so... That's like the number one thing right there. And you're already starting to see inventory on dealership lots are going up. One of our big magnates here that owns uh, multiple dealerships mentioned like, yeah, he's like, we're finally catching up with our inventory issues that we had. The other item is chip production is catching up. So vehicle chip production is starting to catch up. Vehicles have also a bunch of the 2022 year uh, model years came up with ways to have less chips in the cars or they reduce features. And so what's happening is those cars are starting to land on lots and they're starting to catch up and they're starting to catch up with orders. The other thing that no one's really talking about, but when this recession is taking place and or when things are changing like this, a lot of people are canceling orders on things like this. So there right. are all these pre-orders on the new cars, which caused the used cars to, to go ballistic. Um, a lot of people are canceling out. I saw, I don't know the full detail, but I saw Tesla's refunding Cybertruck orders and I'm sure that's due to issues with... Um, their ability to produce a cyber truck in a timely fashion. But the reason people are asking for their money back is because they need their money back. Yeah. Right. And so that's happening on all these vehicles right now. And so then these cars are landing on lots. And so now why would I buy a used car for a thousand bucks more? I can buy a brand new one that's sitting here. So with this going on, you're going to see more inventory, higher rates um, and less buyers wanting to buy. And so the market's poised to pull back and the rates, the cost of vehicles right now is absorbent. Um, so this is actually like kind of what's going to happen in the housing market, but inventory can much quick, more quickly be fulfilled, right? Like we said, it takes yeah. two years to fill up a housing market inventory, if not longer, four years, really by the time you go through the planning and the actual building of it all, uh, and the amount of resources it requires, but housing or cars can happen way, way faster, like six, eight months, they can fill that in. And that's been going on. Like we're in month, yeah. month five, month six of this going on. There'll also be some people that'll swap out, you know, a more expensive, uh, vehicle for a cheaper vehicle yeah right if they leased it or, or financed it or however they got it they're gonna be like you know what maybe i overspent on that right let's take it back and put me in something a bit more practical for my new budget and so yeah not to just be all doom and gloom but like what i would say what you should be doing is looking at swapping out your vehicle like if you, if you can or if you're interested in doing so if you took on too much car and you're already kind of feeling the pinch on the payment now is an opportunity to go back and likely get a good majority of your payment on the car and maybe get back into a new car. And if go with new cars, like, a lot, like right now, new cars are not that badly marked up anymore. So maybe a new car is the option, but going with a lesser lesser option. Or if you have a truck and you're kind of hating the gas prices and all that, gas prices are going to stay. Yeah. Uh, insurance going prices are going to stay. Go in there and take that huge lump sum they're willing to pay you for that truck. Because uh, I think you'll honestly get a discount. They're projecting a 30% drop on the vehicle market, used vehicle market, over the, by the yeah. end of the year. What about the new, new cars? New is not as much. Hard. New is hard to kind of measure yeah. because technically the dealers are supposed to be selling at list price. Yeah. And so like the new car market is pacing normally with inflation. They probably had an average of cost plus, but you did see a lot of dealers doing massive markups. And I think that's going to disappear. That was disappearing before because the brands didn't like that. The brands did not like hearing that their dealers are marking up their product by another 10 grand more than it was agreed upon. Hmm. Um, So really that's where the used car market is kind of the one that actually fluctuates more like this. Whereas new cars are kind of just pegged with the inflationary cost uh, that you expect. Luxury market's a little different, but... Yeah, I noticed, like, I've got someone at uh, at Toyota, and I keep asking, like, what if I wanted a hybrid RAV4, mm. which is my next dream, that's my dream vehicle. <laughs> um, and she was always like, I asked her, like, six months ago, and she's like, ugh, probably, like, 
late 2023. And I was like, oh my God, that's insane. Yeah. And now I ask her today and she's like, yeah, probably fall 2023. So it's like that date hasn't moved. Yeah. So they have caught up a little bit on production yeah. that even though we're six months forward, my date hasn't moved out six months, right? I so, bet you can get my mother started at 2023. You think so now, eh? That's I, awesome. I will in place my bets. I, like I said, there's a bunch of people that I will be backing out of deals. There'll be people bringing in vehicles to trade them in. There's so many things. And then the financing. There's going to be a ton of people that are like, man, I'm I put a down payment on this and then I renewed my mortgage and it went up by $800 a month or $400 yeah. a month. And that $400 a month was my car payment on my new car. Yeah. So I'm not buying this car. 100%. 100%. Now, um, that's interesting. No, and, and all these things move together. Um, but let's get in because that's a nice little prediction of what you are kind of forecasting for the next six months yeah. uh, on, on the car sale side of things. Um, let's break this down into kind of a few different areas. The biggest question is... Uh, and I know we've hammered the rate stuff a lot, but as people should now be seeing, the rate stuff matters. And if you want to predict any market, look at the rates. Yeah, it's not that complicated. It's the one thing if you want to, you know, be a savvy real estate investor, you've got one glaring thing over here that predicts the market. Just like when they drop rates to historic lows, it was easy to anticipate that the market was going to go crazy. Now they've moved rates up. We've seen the results of that. So first of all, you need to understand that the Bank of Canada does not meet in August. So the rates that we have right now from a variable perspective overnight and prime, those are going to stay as they are. Um, but then the Bank of Canada meets, I think it's September, October, December, if I remember. So there are three more meetings of the Bank of Canada. Yeah. Um, there's obviously a lot of thought that rates are going to continue to go up. Yeah, I think there's about 100 basis points left in the year. That's kind of the general consensus. Yeah. Uh, I've talked to a lot of contacts about it, and I don't think they're going to be keep going with these massive rate hikes, um, even though inflation is crazy like it has been in like past history. When inflation was this high, they just kept pegging it to like 14%. Um, unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately now, they can't necessarily go that aggressive because they will sink the entire economy in doing so. Yeah, um, comparing this to the 70s and stuff like that or all these other previous times of, of high interest rates and high inflation, it's not quite apples to apples because we are a bigger debtor society right now. Yeah, right? much much higher higher uh, ratios of debt. On average, more, more people carry debt. Back in the 70s, people paid for all their cars cash. A lot of houses were paid for cash. Like It just wasn't nearly the ratios that it is today. And so the, and the government understands that. And so they can't, the Bank of Canada understands that and they can't crank it to the max. But they are going to continue. And I think they're seeing some success in what they're doing. Um, the only thing that I'm kind of concerned about is like, I'm already starting to see some volume come back and people starting to like, kind of realize that this is the norm and it's not that crazy. And they're starting to kind of get back into the swing. Like of you're seeing a bit more hustle and bustle in the real a estate market. A bit more market. hustle and bustle yeah, in the real estate too. market and kind of people being like, well, this is what it is now, but like, I gotta keep yep. doing my thing. And I'm like, that's good, but it's also like crap. And they're going to be like, this isn't working. We need to put in bigger, bigger hikes. Like we really got to push this thing down. Um, and so they may do more than 100, but I would say 100 at the minimum. Yeah, I think in September, they'll probably do another 50 basis points. They'll see how that affects things because this is going to be this is going to be the measuring point. The inflation figures for June came out about a week ago. So this is kind of old news, but we haven't had a, a podcast since then. And inflation uh, at, at June was pegged at 8.1%, which is still crazy high, Super but it's high. worth noting that it was expected to be around 8.4%. And the last couple of times they had predictions, they actually exceeded the prediction. And here's a case where they were lower than the prediction. So there is 
uh, uh, the, you could look at that as a sign that inflation is actually rolling over. Yes, it's still increasing from what it was in May, because in May it was in like the upper sevens and now it's 8.1, but the rate at which it is increasing is going down yeah. and it's now um, doing less than expectation. So that could be an indication that we're starting to hammer down on on inflation. We're now going to get numbers where our rates are, are going to stay the same for um, July and then and then August. So those inflation reports are going to be really indicative of what the Bank of Canada is going to do in September. Yeah. Now, we talked about on the previous episode that uh, Tiff Macklin, who's kind of the head of BOC, came out and said their target is 3% by the end of the year. Yeah. And so we may see inflation. I, I don't think we're going to hit 3 I think we'd be lucky to get down to like 4 or 5% inflation by the, by end, the end of the year. year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think exactly. Like We're just not going to catch up. Again, this is, I think, a supply thing. Like We're not going to really catch up on the supply to even yep. allow us to get that inflation number down to where it needs to be. Um, and something I kind of want to slip in there with this is, again, grocery stores I've been talking about so much, but it is so insane. It's getting yeah. worse and worse and worse, like kind of just slowly getting worse, but like there's just less and less stuff in the grocery store. And I'm like, that's going to push the inflation numbers through the roof. Meat. I tried to get some meat the other day. Like there is nothing. Man, are I bought a little hearing- package of halal ground beef because that was the only option in the entire thing for ground beef. Are you hearing the bubblings now about the farmer protests and all that stuff oh, yet? Oh, man. I'm telling you. I think it's going to be a protest, but it, it, they're, they're someone like this is where I'm like, thinks this is my conspiracy, conspiracy, you know, like there's someone in the back end that's handling this, that's fun, right, funding stuff to push this, this protest and push the strike to actually force the prices up further. I swear to God. Uh, well, then, then you're talking conflicting forces because I think there's a lot of equally corrupted and it equally motivated forces trying to steer towards these quote-unquote greener solutions which just exacerbate the problem of food shortages. Trudeau just went and wanted to target a 30% reduction in nitrous oxide, which is effectively saying you can no longer have these synthetic fertilizers. Because it's not just carbon, like the cows walking around and farting and it releases carbon. I was talking to my buddy about that. Um, But the nitrous oxide is what they're trying to reduce by 30%, and that is these synthetic fertilizers. And That target is is unattainable without massive changing in our pricing, and we're already struggling with this food pricing issue. So you're right, that's going to drive inflation, and you can mark my words, well, whatever, I might be wrong. This is going to be a massive story, and no one's covering right now, which is very suspicious to me as well, and I think that's something to do with the fact that a lot of our media doesn't really represent the interest of rural individuals doesn't necessarily represent the interests of say some of our western friends right and that's why they're not covering this story which should be the biggest story in canada right the now. the other thing that's like back to a previous episode and we kind of alluded like billionaires are buying farmland like it's going out of style yep. and i'm this like is why this is why they're doing an investment play here. Because what they'll do is they'll rack up all this land because the existing small scale farmers will not be able to afford and will not be able to produce under these tight regulations. Then billionaires will buy up all the land. They'll then lobby the governments and they'll develop these no oh new slightly better more environmentally yep. friendly uh, synthetic fertilizers and boom that's yep conspiracy it's, episode it, conspiracy still episode we'll just keep talking about it but yeah. like we'll basically keep casually dropping our conspiracies yeah. in here. But yeah, there is something coming down the pipe. I'm with you too. I, I always find that the things that no one's talking about are the ones that are always the biggest issue. And I'm like, this is because our news is privately owned. Uh, all the media. Well, not Canada. CBC is publicly owned, but yeah. But like that doesn't give me any real any confidence to be honest with you. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So like that's why you don't see any things in there. And then it's like 
it was in front of our faces the whole time. Like, we're all freaking out about the used cars. But every day we went to the grocery store and there was no food anywhere on the shelves. The prices were through the roof. And yep. somehow nobody talked about it. And everyone's just like, no, no, it sounds good. Like, we do need to cut our nitrous oxide use by 30%. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem that we need to address most. Like, no, we need to get people fed. We Like, they're, they're bigger things. We anyway, deal with the things so later. So that, that is why I don't think, I, I agree. I think you're right. Like, inflation is not going to get down to 3% by end of year. mean that they keep pushing on rates. But again, I think they need no. to, like, rates aren't the answer. It's not going to be rates of the answer. That means, okay, so you're just going to force the place into a depression where we don't have food. Rates are part of it. They're part of it. It's, but the only, for things it's like literally the, the only tool they have. The rates aren't yeah. going to help the food crisis. You're like, yeah. well. Yeah, cool. I'm not going to go out and buy a new car because the rates are through the roof. But I do need to buy a sandwich. Like, I need to eat. I'd I go for a sandwich right now. I could go for a sandwich right now. But yeah, like, so that's something that I think there's going to be some incentives. And again, this is where I think the billionaires, these big people you'll see, they make moves on things that the government incentivizes and is going towards. Uh, when it was computers, the government was getting heavily computerized and so was the general population. So Bill Gates and all these guys went in that world. Elon Musk was smart. He got in electric cars when the government was incentivizing electric vehicles. Like, they do the things at the right times, and so now it's funny to see that these guys are now buying so heavily into farmland. Again, just, like, think about that. They're following what they know the government's eventually going to go into, and they probably have better insight and know what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, because they but, lobby. Like they're, well, they're then lobbyists. they'll, they'll yeah. go lobby it. So, um, anyways, I, I think it's something to prepare for. I'm honestly, like, legit wanting to get put a freezer in my house, and I'm going to start kind of, like, stocking some stuff. Because yeah. the thing that's driving me insane is when I want something, I can't get it. Yeah. Oh, we've so, never had that before in my life. So, predictions so far, interest rates... And just to backtrack a little bit, when Neil says he sees another 100 basis points in our overnight Bank of Canada rate, that would change uh, the rate from 2.5 to 3.5, which would change, Minimum. yeah, which would change most prime interest rates out there at the major lenders from about 4.7 to 5.7, which means most variable products will between be between 4.7 and 5.2. So if you have a variable product, by the end of the year, it is very realistic. So I agree with you. Uh, actually, I, I wish I kept receipts on all this stuff. Back in the day, people were asking, how high is it going to go? I'm gonna, it's going to be around 3.25. It's going to be the bank rate by the end of the year. And yeah. I think you're right. It's, it's possibly going to be around 3.5, whether or not they do however many increases they do. But So if you're on a variable product, by the end of the year, it's likely that you'll be somewhere between 4.7 or 5.2. Um and then I expect to see some pullback from there. It's interesting to note, like, fixed rates have actually been doing pretty good. Yep. The five-year fixed rate, which it's in, this is for the nerds out there, but your fixed rate is related to your bond yield. Yeah. Okay? And bond yields go down when the forecast for the economy is not as good. So bond yield rates are going down significantly. I think they're like 2.9 or something like that. And that's an indicator that the market out there is saying, gosh, we don't feel super good about... Uh, the economic growth over the next couple of years. So we want something, you know, conservative and boring like bonds, right? So as the bond yield comes down, that's an indicator that people are less confident in in the overall market. So they're buying these up and banks make their decisions, uh, their investment decisions on a, their five-year fixed mortgages relative to the bond yield, right? They charge a premium on your five-year fixed products relative to what they could get kind of in, in the bond yield market. So as those go down, the fixed rates come down a little bit. Yep. So that gap between variable and fixed is getting Shrinking. very, very close. Yep. Um, but moving forward into the new year, if we see these slowdowns, then I think that bank rate is going to start coming back down. Hopefully. I, I don't, I'm going to predict and say I don't think it's going to be early next year that you're going to see rates come down. I think it's going to be later next year at the earliest. Really? Like yeah, second, I, I second think, half of the year? Hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's because there's going to be the skewed idea of like the inflationary numbers are still spiking through the roof because of all the other issues that we just discussed. And that's going to cause the numbers to be skewed and they're not going to bring the rates down because they're going to assume that that's also going to add to it. Um, 
And I think it's going to be more so. I think like the way out of this is going to end up becoming like government intervention through incentives to do things like farming or housing and, and the things that really matter for us. Um, again, I really hope that they're planning stuff now because it's going to be an issue. I hope it's not a reactive thing. It's more of a like proactive thing. Huh. But it doesn't uh, seem like that because if they were proactive, we'd already have it in place. Yeah. Um, so if you see rates kind of staying high, maybe until Q3 or Q4 of next year, you don't see them increasing anymore past 100 basis points? or I, As I'm saying, I think 100 basis points on the minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 100 basis points this year, and I think we might see another few in the start of next year, honestly. Like, I, I don't... Um, like I said, if, if the rate, if the inflation rate's still high, I know there will be the pressure within house to do something about it, and rates are like the obvious one to taper mm-hmm. it off. The other thing to consider is, I've talked about this before, but 75% of the money that's borrowed out there today is at a lower rate than the money that's out there that's being bought, borrowed today. Like, right. sorry, the money that was borrowed previous to today, like 75% of all the loan money, let's say if it's $100 billion, 75 billion of it, is at a lower rate than what's advertised today and what you could get money for. Um, and so... Like all those renewals have to come up and there's a bunch at the end of this year. There's a bunch of them next year. And so you're not going to actually see the impact of what these rates are doing really until those renewals come in. These huge drops in May and June were not because the rates went up. They were, but not directly. It was indirectly because of the sentiment in the market, Mm -hmm. not because like a bunch of people just went belly up. There wasn't just people in the streets going belly up. It was everyone was just nervous. Consumer confidence. The media is a lot faster to get around today. It's not through a newspaper. It's not through conversation. It's like you open your phone. It's the one only thing that you see. And so sentiment stopped it. And that's why I'm like, it's already coming back because now it's not all the sentiment. People aren't freaking out about it as much. Um... And so I think we're going to have some growth continued on and they're going to have to do some more. And so they're going to keep cranking those rates again, waiting for that money to turn over. Again, these people are so smart and they know so much. I feel like maybe that's wrong. Like that's how it seems to me. And again, this is like a a forced recession. I was reading an article before we hopped on here. Like it's, it's a forced recession. It's induced recession. And the biggest way to do it is through rates. So they're going to keep pumping that. And I think you won't see like the true hurt, I think until until next year. Well, the big question is going to be what inflation level do we think we're, going to live with moving forward because historically we tried to be around two to three percent inflation and so what they look for in monetary policy is the equilibrium bank rate which is like what is the bank rate that kind of keeps us right around going two to three percent right and the reality is now we're trying to find what's the new equilibrium rate where we can get inflation back down to to an uh uh tolerable number and again their target is they're they're hoping for three the end of this year two percent next year i don't know if we live in a world anymore that you can keep inflation under four percent like i i believe that you can if you can produce high like you can you need to be more self-sufficient within your own country like this is where i'm like so big like they need to produce that is the only way to do this like you throw in incentives and basic like people are like okay like the big one of the biggest problems right now is for the bottom end renters they get whatever it is 500 bucks a month from the government they need to bump that up to 750. Well, the second they do that, all those rents are going to get pushed up. People are going to have more expendable income. It's going to push inflation again, right? We mm-hmm. talked about this before. It's like CERB. And it's the same thing. If they start giving out uh, food stamps or discounts or whatever it may be to try and help people get food, the same thing is going to happen. It's just going to push all that value up. The only way to actually fix this is to put stuff into producing. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of corporations are going to make a ton of money off of it. Um, but realistically, that's what you need to do is you need to just get the supply level way, way up. But people aren't going to like this comment. The cultural sentiment, or hmm, let me that's not the right word, the societal sentiment, the, the, the media sentiment, whatever you want to call it, is towards hammering production of oil. And now with stuff like this, nitrous oxide tax or well, it's not a tax I, I like like it's, people, it's a disincentivization is hammering production of food 
Like at some point, How's everybody I hope enjoying two dollars a liter right now. I hope everyone's going to wake up at some point and be like, okay, some of this romanticism that we've allowed to invade our politics, we got to get rid of it because it is screwing us over. It is having the opposite intended effect, right? Like there's a reason that even as we do these more things, no one feels richer, right? Like so. And, I don't and know. but maybe yeah. everyone's comfortable We're to be that way. We're getting too political here, maybe. But we are getting too political. It may, and maybe everyone's comfortable to feel that way. Like uh, again, I, I would love for a bunch of people to comment and give us some feedback. Uh, we should maybe even do a call in potentially at some point uh, or a live chat with you guys. But like this is like this is the thing. If you want Canada specifically, we'll say. I mean, we have American listeners as well. But if you want your country to be ultra green, ultra everything, prepare for it also to be ultra expensive. Yeah, and so if yeah, you're totally. not, if you're okay, then to live a very, very basic life, you can have that amazingness and that comfort level to be like, my food is produced in a sustainable manner, my energy is in a renewable manner, uh, like all these things are so great, my healthcare is perfect, all those things, yeah, totally. But your overall general standard of life for the first world expectation, which is, uh, let's say, nice clothes, nice cars, trips, nice home, technology. and all that, technology, all those items, strip those away. Like that, that's your option. You have to spend all that money to put them into, into those things. Um, so again, I, I think we really, really need to incentivize. And we, when we incentivize corporations to produce, they're going to employ more people at higher rates. So there's actually be more money to go around. And yes, at the end of the day, the corporations are going to take home billions, trillions of dollars more money, but so is the general consumer. And the cost of the stuff that they have is going to be way lower. And either you do it overtly and with a plan in place, or... They're going to do it covertly, i.e. buying up farmland. And, and yeah, they're like, still like, making the they're, billions They're doing it co- covertly or at least be like, okay, how can we actually keep these farms in the hands of the farmers that currently own them? Yeah. And make it more viable for them to produce more economically. Yeah. Like, that should be the focus. Because otherwise, stuff like Bill Gates buying up all the farms in Canada is like not that crazy of a thought. Right, and, there's and, so many corporations that are buying up and, and, and amalgamating all these already. So, nice, last thing nice I want to say is a little like aside. Here's an here's an incentive idea that I had um, that I thought was interesting. And again, I think a lot of people are going to dislike this and say I'm saying this because it would be something that would benefit me directly. Um, but we just had a recent sale of around 300 units to a nonprofit organization in our city. Um, great thing that I, I'm going to say because all public, the Strug family sold out their portfolio to this nonprofit housing organization. Uh, for a song, uh, so good on them for doing so. Yeah, um, they they um, they probably sold it for twenty percent less than they can get on the open market. Would you say? I'd say probably forty percent less than the open <laughs> market, to be honest. Hopefully, the shrugs don't listen to this. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure there are tax benefits. Well, and I so a good I think there probably is some tax benefits, but like it should be like created where if you sell to a nonprofit or you sell to something like that. There should just be no tax on it. One of the biggest, one of the biggest expenses that we face as, a, as a real estate point, investor yeah. and someone who builds property and all that is that like when you go to sell, you have this massive capital gains tax bill looming over your head, which makes it so you have to sell for a super high price and you're not interested in selling or, yeah. or you're not interested in selling. But if you said, hey, you sell to the nonprofits, we'll eliminate that tax bill. Okay, well, now I'm comfortable to sell. Instead of selling for 150 a door, I'll sell for 125 a door. Uh, they'll get the units. And it'll keep our old inventory protected, and it'll also incentivize me to build more. Well, that like once I once I'm yeah. done with that asset, I'm like, you know what? I'll sell this and I'll build more stuff. But instead, exactly. now I don't want to sell anything. I'm not going to have the money to go build more stuff. Or if the trust is going to buy it, they're going to have to pay that forty percent more. Yeah, or the right? trust, has, which they usually cannot do. 
can't and do. And so I'll yep. take it to market and sell it for the more money that I need to pay that giant tax bill. And really those taxes, have they been turning around to create the units that we need? Exactly. Unfortunately not. Exactly. If you do it that way, the tax benefit actually... Like the, the tax disappears and it benefits the buyer, which in this case is a housing trust, not a profit, right? And instead, like they get the benefit instead of the government getting the benefit because historically, what has the government done with that money? Look around, absolutely nothing. And, and, and from a housing perspective, the tax amount of money that's coming in, like it would, it's like one fifth of what it should be because nobody wants to sell this stuff, so it just gets passed down generationally, and so you just perpetuate the idea that this money just gets stuck and stays in, within families, and you'll never ever see it back into the market. It'll never get reinjected into the market. But if you if you do something like that, it allows. And again, they do this in the states, but not for nonprofits. They do it for everything. And it says as long as you reinvest back into our society, whether it being in businesses or in more real estate, you won't pay the taxes. And you have to do it within a certain timeline. And it allows their inventory to stay high. It keeps their rent super low. Everybody knows in the states. Yes, they're having a big growth phase as well. But their rents are a fraction of Canada's rents. A yeah. fraction. Yeah, because there's really it's not fair comparing True. our rents to say like Miami or say the big cities. It's more rightly to compare them to other. Find find, well, find a four hundred thousand person city exactly. in the states and compare it, and I bet the you their average rent, bucks. Yeah, the average would be yeah. six, seven, eight hundred dollars. Whereas here it's eighteen hundred dollars. Like it's yeah. it's not even the same deal, and it's because they have the tax incentive, and everyone's just like, oh my god, screw the rich landlords like we shouldn't have this tax incentive but it actually benefits everybody and yes there will be some people that make more money but you will all make more money because it that tax benefit gets sprinkled across the entire board before we wrap up i'm just going to bring it back to real estate and one more prediction you and i alluded to it a couple times here there is a bubbling energy in the market right now that we haven't seen for most of july yeah. the last week or so has actually been quite strong part of that is a product that listings are way down and i talked about this before sellers are not just going to voluntarily give their home away at a discount a lot of sellers are going to decide they're just not going to sell that has driven inventory down a little bit buyers are adjusting to this new normal they're adjusting to the rates they're realizing okay the world isn't you know collapsing around me i just have to deal with my new normal and now i'm going to go back out there and shop and you know what they're going out there and shopping and finding fewer homes for sale so there's actually been quite a bit of competition the last little week or so in the housing market and i feel optimistic that regardless of of the rates whether they you know stick at that uh what what you're calling there were 100 basis points now and then they'll be plus or minus that for maybe six or nine months yeah um and inflation i think is going to slow a bit uh, because the housing market is slowing and that drives inflation significantly. So if inflation settles around 4 to 5%, I think that the buyers, which is who drive the market, are going to be normalized to that reality. And we're going to have a strong spring from the real estate perspective. Yep. Winter's what winter is, so it's a hard to use that as a measure. Like the, the, the market slows down in the winter. But I think spring is going to be normal. Yep. I'm not saying it's going to pick up where it left off. We are not going to have these years of 20 to 30% value appreciation in properties. We're not going to have it. But do I think that next year we could have a 5 to 10% increase in the value of real estate? Yeah. I really do. Totally. I, I really totally do. agree with you. I think we're already starting to see things kind of come back a little bit to normal. I think we both lost to multiple offers this week yeah. for multiple clients. Yeah, and I've been on the receiving side of, of significant multiple offers on yeah. the selling side. So. Ju- June was a, was a really, really quiet month. So was July, the first so was three, July. but it always was. I guess, yeah, it's August. Leo. It always was, right? Yeah. Like, uh, July is always a slow month, and then you couple that with some significant inflation news, significant interest rate news, like the biggest rate hike in a couple decades, uh, which is effectively a, a generation of buyers. Um, and now, three, four weeks later, Everyone's looking around like, okay, 
Yeah. This is the reality. I still want to buy a house. I, I still don't want to. Rates were normal just a couple of years ago. Like these are no. Yep. This is a normal rate. This is what you kind of what you'd expect to pay on money that you're borrowing. One percent makes no sense. Yeah. And if you look at how quickly the world moves, our recoveries and our drops and all these things happen so darn quickly that I'm. I think next year is going to be a great year for those of us trading real estate. Totally. Yeah. So again, thanks for listening, guys. If you listened all the way through to this point, uh, I hope you liked it. Again, we're, we're not financial advisors. We're telling you our best guess based on what we've learned on the education and our involvement in the market and the people that we know. Uh, we wanted to show you guys this space because it's where we do our Patreon. So check it out. It's in the link below. We're super excited. We're making a ton of effort to get everything up on there. Um, so yeah, take a look. Let us know. Give us feedback. Answer us questions. Again, thanks everyone who comes up and says hi. A bunch of you guys have done it. And yeah. it, it's super fun and exciting for us. Again, it keeps us kind of motivated. Um, but yeah, this was uh, this was. And thanks for sharing us. it when like there's been some cool spots or, or footage where people are listening to the podcast and they take like a picture of them listening to the podcast. Yeah, in different and spots. they share it on their social media. That is great for us because other people see it. You guys are what gives us credibility. If you guys think that you're getting value out of it, the people around you will be like, well, if you're checking it, I'm going to check it out too. So it means a lot that you put that trust in us and we appreciate you sharing that with other people. Exactly. Yeah, check out the Patreon though. Now it's up. Yeah, Patreon's up. Yeah. We're super excited about it. We're going to be populating the crap out of that. We're putting a bunch of videos in there, ton of educational stuff. Uh, there's different p- tiers that are going to be available. You guys can send in questions and we will do a full-on video about it and break it down and make it available to you guys. Um, we're also going to have content that's like spreadsheets that we use to analyze properties and whether we should buy them, what they look like in the future. Um, we're also going to be doing some, uh, I'd say, Q&As that will yep. be available. There's a lot of stuff coming. And it's, it's the gonna- nitty-gritty, man. If if you want to go beyond the entertainment value into like the brass tacks and how the sausage is made, that's the Patreon. Yeah, this will genuinely get you educated to a point where if you know nothing or you're just getting started and you want to make that next leap, we're going to have all the content available there for you to make that next step. Um, additionally, it's going to link to our website. So our website's almost finished as well. So if you have a Patreon, you will get a membership to the website, uh, which will also have everything that we just talked about. Plus, it'll have a lot more information. Like we'll have some blog posts. We'll have a forum available to you guys. We're also going to have some really interesting stuff regarding deals that are becoming that I think if you're an investor, it's an absolute must to have anywhere you are. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.